Greetings, Exponential family, and uh, welcome back to The Hub. My name is Bill Kokenauer. I'm part of the Exponential team, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to this a special edition of this book tour with the book, The Revolutionary Disciple, Walking Humbly with Jesus in Every Area of Life. And uh, it's my honor to be here with the authors and actually a couple of friends of mine, Jim Putman and Chad Harrington. Jim and Chad, thank you for being with us today. All right. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, good to, see, good to see you guys. For those of you who don't know, uh, Jim is the senior pastor of Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, and he holds degrees from Boise State University and Boise Bible College and is the author and co-author of various discipleship books, including Church as a Team Sport, Real Life Discipleship, and Disciple Shift, which is actually one of uh, Exponential's core resources. And Chad is the owner of Harrington Interactive Media and a teaching deacon at Harpeth Christian Church in Franklin, Tennessee. And he holds degrees from Ozark Christian College and Asbury Theological Seminary and is the uh, author of Your Spiritual Formation Plan and co-author of the book Dedicated. So, uh, yeah, it's great to have you guys with us. And for those of you that are watching, we want to get your questions uh, answered with this book as well. So um, feel free to um, grab a cup of coffee um, and uh, and make sure you put your questions in, in the chat because we do want to get those as well. Um, and Jason Stewart will make sure that he gets those to, uh, to us so we get those answered. But hey, I want to I jump right into this because there is, uh, I think there's a lot to cover here and appreciate the work that you guys have done in putting this book together. But why did you, what was the, what was the impetus for writing this book? Like why, there are a lot of, you know, more and more being written about disciple making and discipleship. And, and you know, what was, the, what was the impetus behind this book? Well, um, for me, uh, it, it's if we're going to make disciples, we've got to have, uh, you know, what is what is the kind of disciple we're making as kind of the key destination? If you're going to go on a journey, where are you going? And and I wanted to define, you know, not only what is a disciple, but what's the best methodology to get there. And, you know, ultimately, we all know that we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ and Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to be a disciple. And so um, Jesus uh, obeyed the commands of the father, but he did that because he loved the father and trusted the father. And why? Well, because he'd been with the father for all of eternity. He, he came to reveal the heart of who God is. And so defining a disciple as one who who has humbled themselves and and allowed God to save them through Christ but is also submitted to the authority of Christ as king and Jesus submitted himself to the father's will though he had divine privileges and rights and then he were to have the same attitude as Christ so for us it, it, for me it's always about how do you define maturity in Christ if you don't define it correctly, you, you make disciples of the wrong thing or in the wrong way, you got a problem. And if if love, if all the law and the commands hang on, you know, to Jesus said in Matthew 22, love God, love others. Um, if it's all about the commands are given to protect and promote relationship, then then love is in relationship is a picture of maturity. But then I had to step back even more than that, and said, say that the, the biblical love is an act of the will laying down your life for another, and which means that love isn't possible without humility. 
And in a culture that is becoming less and less humble and elevating pride, and, you know, especially with Christians who are talking about revolution right now, uh, the new revolution, the, you know, a revolutionary war, they're talking about, at least where I live, um, it's, it's time to fight, you know, and pick up arms and all that. And, and I'm not saying there isn't a time to fight a just war. I'm just saying um, the kind of revolutionary disciple that we're called to be is one who loves and love. The root of love is humility. And, and it's time for us to become humble and, and be more like Jesus. So, I mean, it, it, that's been kind of the journey uh, that I've been on it. I've been about discipleship a long time, but disciple, what kind of disciple are we making has been, you know, a key thought for me. Chad, what would you, how would you add to that? I mean, you're, you're in a little bit different atmosphere in the Nashville, greater Nashville area there than where, where Jim is, but what would uh, similar kind of um, impetus for you in putting this book together? Yeah, that's a good question. So what caused us to write this book? Um, the truth is, my dad asked me to help Jim write this book. And uh, it was kind of something that earlier in my life, I would have been terrified to do to write a book about humility. Because the truth is, I've struggled with pride pretty deeply myself. And so it's like, oh, and hey, would you help someone write a book on humility? Now, I'm a publisher um, through my company, and I edit books. And I, you know, I publish books and, and so it's, yeah, I can kind of keep an arm's distance, but then it's like, Hey, would you share from your life? And, and it's like, Oh man, truth is this is like the worst fear for me to write a book on humility. So it was a gut check for me for like, what really is humility at the end of the day? And um, you know, it's funny, Jesus talks about himself and a core verse in the, in the book that Jim and I wrote is is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so we all sort of believe as Christians, like, you know, what C.S. Lewis says, and, and I think that he's got a point to it, but he says, if you um, grow in humility, then watch out sort of thing, because you can be proud of your humility. But Jesus goes a deeper level and says, hey, I am humble, but he's not proud of his humility. So there's this mystery that he invites us into to learn from him humility. And we, we Jim and I really connected on this passage because, you know, a lot of people feel stuck between the call to Christ and the commission to make disciples of Christ. So in Matthew chapter four, and this is something that Jim has really helped me and a lot of people think through, along with the Relational Discipleship Network, helping people say, okay, what's a simple scriptural definition of a disciple? And Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 says, that Jesus says to his original apostles, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So it's like, okay, a lot of people are on that journey consciously, proactively, and they get, their, you know, they get it, right, and in the basic form. And we're on that journey. But then we kind of go to the end of Matthew and we hit Matthew 28 and he says, make disciples of all nations. And we're kind of like, what? Like, wait, hold on. So from this to that. And I think the reason that a lot of people kind of feel stuck in their disciple making journey 
is because they haven't really learned humility as they walk with Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 11 kind of comes right in the middle of the gospel of Matthew. And I think that we're trying to say, look, let's not skip too quickly to saying, hey, you're called and now you're commissioned. It's like no one ever figures it all out when you're commissioned, right? The disciples even doubted in Matthew 28. And then Jesus is like, I'm still going to send you. So we don't have to have it all together, but we also shouldn't kind of skip the formational process where Jesus says, learn from me. And he says, I'm humble in heart. So what do we learn as we walk with Jesus? Well, I think part of what we learn is his heart. And he, the main thing he says in that passage is humility. And so we try and answer the question in the book, what does that look like? And um, it's, it's kind of a journey of sorts. So we, we say Jesus is the revolutionary disciple. We can become revolutionary disciples based on him and who he was and what he's taught us to be. But we've got to learn. And, you know, I love, I love how Jim, you know, and you could, you could talk more about this, but I love how Jim, it really kind of enlightened me as we were crafting the outline for this message is the essential aspect and like character trait of a disciple is a learner, but learning requires humility. It's so interesting when, you know, when I'm working with, you know, different people or discipling people, you can kind of tell when someone doesn't want to learn. And it's like, good luck to you, you know, on your discipleship journey. Um, and so what's kind of the missing piece? Look, we all want to be loving people, but really the question right now culturally is what is love? And, and I think what, what Jim sensed three years ago when we started writing this book was a major aspect. I think you even would say like the anchor, the root of love is humility. In other words, without humility, good chance learning love. And so how do you learn that? It's in relationship, primarily in starting with Christ. And then it expands to the concentric circles in every area of life. It's interesting to think about the, um, I, I hadn't thought about humility in relationship to teachability, but I, I, I forget who to attribute this quote to, but they said, you cannot teach a man something he thinks he already knows. Mm. And uh, uh, yeah, interesting that, uh, um, the, the role of humility in learning. So what, what was the, just curious, what was the timing of this? The, uh, Jim, I think you kind of alluded to this. Was this sort of during the pandemic that, that this came together? Well, I actually, at first, and that wasn't the title of the book, and it was pre all this. I actually, <laughs> I wanted to call this book uh, The Death of Discipleship. That and sounds, sounds like an encouraging title. Yeah, exactly what, <laughs> what uh, Chad said, right? Uh, and, you know, some of these people are like, well, that's discouraging. And I, I said, well, think about it. Um, if, if I won't go make a disciple, Jesus said go. Instead, I want him to make me comfortable and I want to stay. And I want actually for him to come to me and bless my business and everything else. If I won't, if I haven't given all authority to him in Matthew 28, I won't go. Right. Or if I say, okay, I'll go, I will baptize people because that's fun. That's like having babies, but I won't change my life to actually teach them to obey all that I've all he's commanded. It's the death of discipleship. So if I won't go, or if I'll go, as long as I get a bunch of stuff and it's for me. So it's like a negotiation 
it's it's backhanded getting. I'll go as long as I get honored and to sit at the head of the table like the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, you make more son of hell than you yourself are. It's the death of discipleship. On the converse side, if I won't be taught by his people uh, to obey all that is commanded, if I just want hell insurance, check a box, I like the uh, celebration, but I don't want to actually follow Jesus and follow those he sent out to make disciples. If I don't want to be taught, it's the death of discipleship. And so that's kind of where we started. Um, and as time went on, the pandemic hits. And, you know, I, I was sensing that there people don't want to be discipled. They don't want to come under the authority of pastors. They don't want to come under the authority of government. They don't want to come. In. We're not known. You know, think about the, the, the America was started with the revolution. Right. We will not follow. Uh, then there's the Reformation movement. We rebelled against the Catholic Church. Now, again, there are good. I'm not saying there aren't reasons for just wars and, and right reasons for. But we celebrate kind of this in the in the Reformation. We celebrate this. It's me and Jesus. And I don't have to be. It's the priesthood of all believers. And there's no reason for authority. And I'm looking at Christians who don't want to do what their pastors tell them to do. They want to bounce around from church to church, claiming they're a part of the big C church so they don't have to be under the authority of anybody. They, most small businesses are started by people who their number one qualification isn't they're good business owners. They just don't want to work for somebody else. Our number one question is, what does our own pursuit of happiness look like? What do I want to be when I grow up? I've got my own mission. The job of a parent is to help me discover and nurture my dream. We live in a world of pride, and then we wonder why what you sow, you reap. You reap, you reap denominations fighting. There's a whole bunch of people that think they're mature because they have the degrees, but when it comes to their willingness to lay down their life and serve and shepherd and minister, their churches actually exist to give them the right to write books rather than as a, I'm going to lay down my life. And so I just, and, and then the, the, the pandemic just exacerbated that. I mean, think about this. We got all these Christians going, you will, you will not tell me what to do. You will, I will not obey authority. And again, there is a right place. But I sit in meetings with people that, that, that can quote the first and second amendments. And I'll sit there for a half an hour with them quoting the Constitution, and they won't mention Scripture, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. There's no mention of what God says about submitting to anybody in that. And I always want to go, I thought your Constitution was Scripture. This is not our home. We're passing through. We're longing for another country. And you you haven't mentioned Scripture or King Jesus or anything, and you, you, you're ready to fight over critical race theory or the vaccines and mandates or first and second amendments or, and again, I'm not, I'm not swinging over here where we shouldn't care about all those things. I'm just saying you can't ignore scripture. You can't ignore what God has said in his word and then call yourself a Christian. I mean, but again, they're not just doing that with the government. They're doing that in their churches, in their marriages. They want to claim they're Christians, but they are not submitting to King Jesus in, in, in much of anything. And that's a lack of discipleship for a variety of different reasons. So I can see where the revolutionary disciple is a, uh, 
is not really even a compromise on the death of discipleship. It's just really taking it to the next step, saying, look, if we're going to if we're going to be serious about disciple making, this is this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to to be a disciple. Um, so right. I, want, I want to get into the Chad, you referenced the spheres um, and I want to get into that. Can you uh, just kind of walk us through uh, the, the spheres that, are, that make up the book? And, and as we go through here, I want to remind you, feel free to put your questions in the chat and we'll uh, get those to, to Chad and to, uh, to Jim. Chad? Yeah. And so Jim, basically we started with it with a kind of a negative title because that's, that's really the impetus for writing the book is like, hey, we're, we see a problem. And it's not just a small problem. It's a glaring problem and not just in one area of life, you know, like, Hey, when I go to church, I don't like to submit to the authority of the leaders. It's like, and then at home and then at your job, it's this comprehensive, like glaring issue. And it's not like we have a novel idea. I mean, people come on, this humility is core to our walk as disciples. And so the change of the title was really kind of like you're saying, Bill, you know, advancement of the idea but leaning towards the positive. So it's like, yes, the problem of pride leads to the death of discipleship and it just wrecks people's lives, you know, but on the positive side, humility brings life. And so that's really the heart of our message. And as the book, you know, as we finished it, we actually finished it in 2021. And so we were able to look at 2022 or 2020 and then feel sort of like this, tension as 2021 began and things didn't get quote better. Um, but the, the tension rose and we're like, okay, wow, this, this actually is really relevant. And so, um, to answer your question, Bill, about the spheres, you know, we got this from the, the letter from Paul to the Ephesians. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Asia minor, and he had this message for the church. You know, Ephesians is called the church book of the New Testament. It's the clearest, most thorough articulation of what the church is called to be. And what Jim kind of brought to the table as we outlined this and and said, this has been really helpful for people we train through RDN and in our churches, Paul actually walks through five spheres of life progressively as you go from chapter one to chapter six of Ephesians. And so you look at chapter one and two, and it's really a focus on our identity in Christ, you know, corporately, but also individually, you know, in in Ephesians one, Paul reminds us that we're chosen. We are loved. We are exalted to sit at the highest place with Christ, high above all power, rule, authority, and dominion. And then you get to chapters three and four, and and he moves to talking about the church directly. And then as you progress, you see, wow, he's really kind of covering all of life and it's concentric circles, like I mentioned. So we start in our book with sphere one, which is abiding in Christ. And then we go to sphere two, which is the church sphere. And then sphere three is family life. And so Paul hits on that in Ephesians chapter five, and then at the beginning of six, and then um, in chapter six, he starts talking about the work world in their day that involved, you know, masters and slaves. Um, 30% of the Roman population were slaves, um, depending on the city you're in. And so that was kind of really relevant, right? And then at the end of Ephesians six, we all know about spiritual warfare. And so that's the fifth sphere. 
And we had to kind of think through like, okay, how do these all work together? And I racked my brain trying to think about how to draw these. I did all these Venn diagrams. You should have seen, you should have seen it. So where we landed is actually what's in the book. And I think it's really helpful. So the middle sphere is abiding in Christ. And then if you draw kind of Mickey Mouse ears on the top, the right and left, it's the church and the family sphere. And then the world sphere is at the bottom. And so you've got these intersecting spheres, but the one that encompasses them all is the spiritual realm, the fifth one. And, And so it's a sphere, but it's not separate from the others, really. It's actually all encompassing. So the spiritual realm is not something in heaven apart from us. When Paul writes in Ephesians, he, he talks about the spiritual realm being another dimension that actually is all around us. And so the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, you might read in your translation, is not like far away from you. It's actually up close. And so we, we, we basically take a journey through the five spheres and ask the question and try and answer it the best we know how from our failures, our successes in scripture and history. What does pride look like in each sphere? And what does humility look like? And the reason we answer, Jim really wanted to focus on what does it look like is because, look, we can know all the facts and we can quote all the scriptures, take all the Sunday school classes. But at the end of the day, if we are not actually, physically, emotionally, metaphorically, all that walking in humility, then it doesn't matter what ideas we have because Jesus you know, in Matthew 11 said, come learn from me. And what he meant was take my yoke of teaching upon you, but then he walks it out with them. And so, you know, in Ephesians four, verse two, Paul says, he says, walk in a way worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so we love this analogy of walking, right? Um, You know, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking a lot for Jim because Jim, Jim really, led the message of this book, but one of the cool uh, overlaps of, of really Jim's life message, which, which is about relational discipleship is this with me discipleship. And, but it's not novel. Like we're saying, we're just accentuating something in scripture. And so Paul says, walk in a way worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And eight times in Ephesians, he uses this metaphor of walking and so we really kind of draw that out and say, let's walk through the four, the five spheres of discipleship. And then we give some practical tools, um, what we call the profile of a revolutionary, so that you can say, okay, these are the four core characteristics and actions of a humble disciple. And we try and help people walk through that so that they can really just work it out with them and the Lord as they examine every area of life. And it's like, man, that's pretty intimidating. But thanks be to God, we have the Holy Spirit, right? It's like, we immediately you realize I can't do this. So right, I like the idea of of the the, um, spiritual realm being an all encompassing kind of sphere as opposed to something separate. Um, In just talking to pastors, particularly over the last 20 months, there's this sense, particularly in middle, upper middle class America, that, that we've taught Christianity as this sort of add-on, you know, live the American dream, get your education, and then, you know, you can add Christianity on and you get, like you said, Jim, um, hell insurance or, you know, ticket to heaven. And if you run into problems, you've got Jesus you can call on, as opposed to this all-encompassing. And so, yeah, I think I think part of the danger that we've done is it's we've 
the spiritual has been this piece that, that we can add on. So I like the idea of it's all encompassing. And we've got a, a couple of questions. Um, somebody, um, they're asking is, do you think part of the problem is that uh, churches have not been taught the Great Commission or, or that churches are not teaching the Great Commission? Do you think that's, that's part of the issue here? Um, I think there's some churches for sure but I think more often than not, they're not teaching discipleship because the, the result of discipleship is the Great Commission. And, you know, we talk about Matthew 419, follow, uh, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. A disciple is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. And embedded in that verse is come and be with me, right? Come, we're going to do this together. And you're going to learn to follow me. You're going to learn I'm king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me by God, but you get to choose that. Come and follow me. I'm going to teach you the truth and connection. It's going to change your heart. You're going to start to see the way I see the world. You're going to start to understand the truth, who I am, why this world exists, why I came. And then the result of that is now you're going to go and make disciples. And if we haven't taught them to follow Jesus and do it in relationship and there's not, and there's a heart change, then the great commission you could talk about it all you want, but their hearts aren't changed for that. And um, um, it, it, and, I, and I think so few churches actually make disciples. And I think more often than not, churches talk about evangelism as though, you know, um, it's a separate thing than discipleship. And it's not evangelism, you know, baptizing and and teaching are is are both sides of that that are we're never supposed to be separated and um because we haven't made disciples and because you know i haven't submitted my life to the lord so that i'm willing to get into the dirty work of actually discipling and making time for it i've turned it into a class which then makes it an educational transfer of knowledge Rather than a modeling life, uh, an encouraging life, a doing life, it, discipleship isn't just like about learning the right information. Discipleship is about building relationships from which that information transforms my life. And in that relationship, there's encouragement, support, accountability to help that change happen in my life, to, to live out the mission. And so, you know, and I write about that in a lot of other books, but but a lack of humility before the Lord to submit to him and to follow him and to, and to go where he tells me to go and to teach and get in the dirty work of teaching and to, to be willing to let somebody do the dirty work of teaching in my life. All that has kind of gone away, but then we want evangelism to happen. And it doesn't work that way. Good. Good. Chad, anything you wanted to, anything you wanted to add to that? I think just it's that authority piece. You know, I'm a millennial. I'm 35 years old. And, you know, a lot of people kind of castigate millennials as anti-authority. And here's the truth. Yeah, we are. Uh, you know why? Because we haven't been taught and trained how to submit rightly. And on a belief level, we haven't been taught as Christians. So I wouldn't say all millennials. I'm just saying as disciples who are in my age bracket, we haven't been taught a theology of God's delegated authority. So in the Great Commission, you know, so it's, it's usually not that we don't teach certain things, although I think that that's true, that there's certain things we avoid that are maybe hard to teach. But on a microcosm level, when we teach the Great Commission, we often start with, 
Jesus commanded his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. And it's like, hold up. What did verse 18 say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, and he said that in humility, right? So we define hum a humble disciple as someone who knows exactly who they are before God, nothing more and nothing less. And then they choose to go lower by serving, submitting, listening, and confessing. That's the profile of a revolutionary disciple. And, and so knowing who we are before God includes any authority that we actually have. You know, the worst parent, the worst pastor, the worst leader is one who doesn't realize that they have authority. And then they abuse it because they treated it like it wasn't worth anything. So there's actually this, you know, it's almost like submission and authority are taboo now, right? And, and that's not just sort of a footnote in our culture. This is the problem with many conflicts going on today. And as disciples of Christ, we must reorient. We don't need to worry about the world. Frankly, we can't really disciple someone, right, until they're converted. And so, like Jim was saying, evangelism is that first step of discipleship, but it's not the last. And I think a lot of people try and go to make disciples before they've humbly submitted themselves to the authority of Christ and to the delegated authorities of God's disciple makers. And so I think to pause on that for a moment is important. God has specifically delegated his authority to humans. It's, and, and not just every human being. He's delegated his authority to six different kind of loci of authority, right? So um, you've got God would be, you know, the, the supreme authority. And God delegates his authority to governmental authorities in Romans chapter 13, to parental authorities in Ephesians chapter 6, to church authorities in Hebrews 13 verse 17, and among other places. And then to APES, you know, apostles, pastors, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers in Ephesians 4. So you're seeing it kind of go through the rungs. But then one another, right? So we're called to submit to one another in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And then spouses. Uh, he, you know, he starts with one another in a general sense. but And, and you know, there's, there's 100 one another commands in the New Testament that you can't obey without submitting to one another. And then in the home sphere, you've got um, spousal submission, uh, which is mutual and, and accentuated in different ways. And then you've got parental authority. And so, you know, the, whole, the glaring issue today is that we've just thrown authority out the window. So when we disciple people, I'm really honing in on, let's start at the belief level because we can do tactics and strategies all day. But if someone doesn't believe in authority, they're not going to submit to anything you say. So let's teach people not only God's authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, but how he disseminates that. And what's amazing, you know, starting in Genesis chapter one, the very first commandment is not don't eat from any tree, you know, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Before we even get to Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter one is purely join me in my rule over creation. He says in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, he says, fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth. He says, subdue it. And then he says, rule over the cosmos, all the living beings in the sky and the sea and on the land. And so it's, this is not a footnote. 
how do we join the rulership of God? It's number one, humbling ourselves under it. And then as we grow in leadership and, and really reign with God, it's the kingdom of God that he's inviting us into, then learning what it means to be humble as a leader too. And that truly is rare these days. Yeah, I, I would say part of the reason the millennials and everyone really bucks under authority is because authority was given as a privilege. And that's the way that people view it and not as a responsibility. Um, I, I did my time being humble. Now I'm the boss. You know, I, authority, because they weren't discipled, they didn't see their job as a shepherd who lays down his life like Jesus did. Right. They didn't become like Jesus. They took the authority without the humility, the humble servant leader, and they abused it. And so, um, you know, I, I go back to the Garden of Eden as well. And that, you know, you got Adam who's given the role of head, but he stands by and lets his wife get tempted uh, instead of protecting and guarding. And then. The Lord comes and, and he blames God, you, this woman you gave me, and he throws her under the bus and says, it's her fault, it's your fault, her fault. I, he didn't play his role. And then that goes, well, you know, then, then you wonder why her desire is going to be for her husband, you know, to rule over him, but he will rule over her. Well, why would she trust her husband who stood by and let it happen and threw her under the bus and rebelled against God himself as well? You know, when, when you have a person who has authority but doesn't understand the purpose of it and the heart that goes with that, why would you want to, to follow? And, and we live in a, in a world where people want to get to the top and they step on people and then you wonder, wonder why, you know, I don't want to work for someone else. So, uh, you know, what does it look like to go, I have a role, there's a design, God delegated authority in every sphere. Husband, you're the head of the house. Wives, submit to your husbands. But husbands, what kind of a leader are you? You're like Christ, who laid down his rights for the good of his wife. He, he met his wife, saw his wife's knees. He cared for his wife, the bride uh, of Christ, and laid his life. Now, okay, now you have the design is there's authority, but what kind of authority is it? And we're submitting to there is a design in the church, male leadership. But what kind of leadership? There's a design in the home. What kind of husbands are the head? But what kind of head? Humbling ourselves before God and others is the key to the roles that God gave us. We like the role, but we don't want to have the heart of, of humility underneath that. And then we wonder why there's a problem. It's a lack of humility that comes from understanding discipleship as God intended it. I, I was... Uh teaching an online course a couple of years ago to 25 vocational pastors in a particular denomination. And uh, as we got into this, uh, after a couple of weeks, it became clear that only about three or four of them were doing any kind of intentional disciple making. And as we got into this, and, and it actually turned out to be a cool story, these guys journeyed together and really, you know, trying to figure this out. But I remember the moment where one of them said, I've, I've never been discipled. I don't know what that looks like. And, you know, and again, these are all vocational pastors. And there's a, and that kind of leads me to the question that came in that says, and then maybe this gets at the heart of it, but what does submission to Jesus look like? I mean, what does, we know that we're supposed to, what does, what does submission to Jesus look like? 
Yeah. And so I, go ahead. No, no, go for it. I'll, I'll follow you. Yeah. I, I think like, for instance, I just preached on the home sphere this last week. I think when I read Ephesians, I see if I'm a husband that I'm the head of the household. Uh, that, and, and I get down to Ephesians six where it says as the head of the household, not only do I, do I, meet the needs of my wife and lay down my life for her, but I am to instruct and train my children. Okay. Now he, I don't think he's saying women don't play a part in that, but he does speak directly to fathers. Why? Cause I think women will do that naturally. Men think their job is to go out, earn stuff and let her do that. So if I'm to submit to the Lord, I am the head of the house. What kind of a head am I supposed to be? And what is my job? Okay, so I'm to be the kind of head that facilitates the gifts in my home that 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 leads Jesus led. The way I I like to say it is Jesus uh, led to the upper room. The disciples did not want to go to the upper room because they they knew he was being trouble there. Right. And Peter tried to talk him out of it. And while they're going to the upper room, they're arguing about who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. Jesus led to the upper room, but when he got to the upper room, he took off his cloak and he washed their feet. So we are leaders, but what's our purpose in leadership? To minister to the needs and to humbly serve and to minister to others. I have a goal. My goal is I'm just to oversee the, the training up of the children in the home which means that my wife and I are going to partner together. She sees part of that that I don't see. She has time that I don't have. I have time that she doesn't have. We're going to collaborate together. I'm going to facilitate that happening, and I'm going to start playing a part as a spiritual father, leading my children to understand the instruction, training, instructing. I'm going to have to organize my own life so that I don't just pray a prayer at dinner but I have to limit my time, energy, and effort in other things so that I can be disciplined as, a di- as someone who's disciplining and training my children. I have to go, wait a minute. I was, that didn't happen in my life. I have no idea what to do with that. So I need to humble myself and go, who, can, who knows how to do this well? I'm going to get directions. I'm going to go to my wife. We're going to do this together. I am, I am the facilitator of something. That doesn't mean the controller of every aspect. You know, and so to submit myself to that is go, okay, I I submit to that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know how to do it. Therefore, I need help. Therefore, my wife has part of the answer. Wise counsel in the church has part of the answer. I'm going to make this my journey in life because my goal is to raise my children in the Lord. I'm submitting to the authority of God who said that's my role. And I need to do that in a way that Jesus directs me to do in his own as, as, as a leader. And, and so I'm going to identify that's the role he gave me. I'm going to submit to his authority in that. I'm going to make that the purpose of my life. I'm going to humble myself before authority in my own life so I know what that looks like. And, 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 and I'm going to direct my life doing that. I'm going to go first. And, and you know what? It's uncomfortable for a kid to learn to follow others. It's uncomfortable for my wife to learn. A good leader goes first. When, when we were separated from God because of our own sin, Jesus went first. He came for us. A humble leader is the one who submits to God and to the need of the other first. Doesn't wait for them to do it. 
if we, we need to learn something, we go first. If we need to humble ourselves, we go first. Yeah, it's so interesting. You mentioned, yeah, you mentioned the disciples uh, arguing about who would sit at the right and left hand of, of Jesus. Jesus doesn't seem to chastise them for wanting to be great. He reframes what it great means to be great. Right? Yeah, great, yeah. a great example. Chad, you were going to add to that? Yeah, I, and I think just to kind of clarify what we're saying so that you can think clearly about what this looks like, Jim's got some great examples from the home. But if you kind of distill it down, what does it look like to submit to Christ? I think number one is at a heart level, allow him access to every area of your life. And if you don't have that as the core, then it, it, you know, that heart level submission to Christ, Hey, you can tell me to do anything and I'll do it. That's the essence of a humble disciple. But then what does that look like as you go throughout life? Right? Cause that's like, you're saying, Bill, it's not separate from the other spheres. And so, um, I, I was terrified of, um, of praying for humility. I think this is a common fear. It's like, it's like the one prayer no one wants to pray. Um, second only to don't make me a missionary because then God will make you a missionary. It's like, don't, don't make me humble. Make me humble. Don't make me humble. Uh, be kind. You know, it's like you kind of wince. You know, we're afraid to pray for humility because we think God's going to just smite us, right? Um, but the truth is God even teaches us humility when we proactively and willingly seek it gently, the problem comes when we don't ask for it or seek it, then God brings us to our knees. So really the, liber the liberating thought is, hey, if you want to join God, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't have to like wince. And then I like I struggled. So I read a chapter in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity that terrified me. I was in the 10th grade, a sophomore at Franklin High School here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was in, in a homeroom under the gym. There's like this dungeon of a classroom. And I was reading the great sin chapter. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was about pride. And I was like, oh, no. I was a pretty good kid, like a goody two-shoes kind of guy. Um, and then I was like, oh, no. What if I'm worse than everyone else? at the heart level. And it wrecked me. And I literally became mortified of my own pride, right? Like, I mean, deeply, this wasn't a surface level thing. I was mortified and I struggled, you know, I was in a band in high school. And so pride comes up when you're writing songs and planning a show and stuff. And we would get into these heated debates, right? And it's like, you know, at one point I said, I bet my life on that, that I'm right about this. And it's like, I realized, okay, I know what humility does not feel like because I know what pride feels like, but I wasn't able to articulate like in concrete terms, what humility actually is. And so when you're forced to write about something because you take on an assignment or you're, you know, you're asked to do this, which happened with me and Jim, um, you know, we partnered with discipleship.org to write this um, as, as a, as a, one of their resources you know, I was like, oh, okay. And what happened, Bill, as Jim and I talked about this is we gained clarity on how you can see if you are humble at a heart level. You know, it's just like anything else in life. There's signs that you're doing the right thing. And so it's not, you know, first of all, humility is not primarily a feeling or how you think about yourself. 
it starts with heart level, but it, it's not primarily characterized by that. It's characterized by action. And so the four core actions of a humble disciple are someone who submits to authority, someone who serves, someone who listens and confesses. And so if you think about what a proud person looks like, someone who doesn't listen, they never admit they're wrong. They're always the leader and they never quite help other people. They're always the one being served. The opposite of that is the life of Christ and the, the life into which he invites us. So if you want to know, um, th there's no rule book, right, for humility. That's why he says, come learn from me. I'm humble in heart. But signs that you're on the path is that you more readily will confess when you've been weak, wh whether you've sinned or, or just made a mistake. I mean, for crying out loud, it's okay to say, you know, I messed that up. Um, so confession is, is, I would say, one sign that you're growing in humility, listening to other people. Do you take advice? Do you not just listen, but do you hear people, whether it's a rebuke or instructions or correction? You know, we like, we like uh, the word of God in 2 Timothy 3. We like the training and the instructing, but not so much the rebuking and correcting. But God's word does all of it. Are you listening not only to Christ, but other people and your spouse and your church leaders and your boss at work and your employees? Oh, and the government. It's like, hold on. What? Most people don't realize they signed up for submitting to the king of the universe. So that goes back to the belief level. You know, we need to be discipled in the gospel, which includes and is primarily focused on King Jesus, not Jesus, my buddy, not Jesus, my uh, boyfriend, but King Jesus. And then, you know, we look at service. So you've got listening and confessing, which are the positive and negative sides of words. But then you go to action and a humble disciple receives the leadership of someone else through action, which is called submission. And then they proactively, the positive side of action would be service. You know, um, it says in, in John chapter 13, that Jesus knew where he had come from, he knew where he was going, and he knew that the Father put all things under his feet. From this very secure place of identity, he knew at a heart level exactly who he was. And then he chose to take a step down in service. And he washed his disciples' feet. What's really interesting about that is, it's like he saved it. Based on Peter's reaction, that was the first time Christ had ever washed their feet. Otherwise, it would have been like, oh, yeah, Jesus always does this. It's kind of weird, whatever. He's like, no, no, no. What? You're stooping that low? It's like he saved it. And, and so it's the Last Supper, and they would never forget the fact that Jesus washed their feet. I, he loved them to the end, it says in John 13. Service is the proactive, the I will go first characteristic of a humble disciple. And so when you take a step back, you realize that that humility starts at the heart level, but then it includes the positive and negative sides of words through listening and confessing. And then the positive and negative side of action, serving and submitting, it covers all of life. And it's this paradigm shift that when I captured that uh, in clarity of thought with Jim, I was like, oh man, praise God that we don't have to guess what humility looks like. There's clear, um, there's clear examples of, of what it looks like. So we can, and, and so what's cool, Bill, 
is that um, you don't have to be like, God, make me humble at a heart level. And then I'll start doing these things. It's like, yes, that's a great start to it. God, make me humble in my heart. But what's amazing, the way God has created us as embodied persons is that as we, even if we don't feel like it, right? There's no, you don't have to feel like it to do these things. But as we serve, God changes our heart. As we listen and confess, we realize, wow, God's changing my heart. And so it's this really cool momentum building sort of paradigm. That's good. And, and for those of you listening, we, we've got uh, really a very generous uh, discount code for you to be able to order the book. Hang on, and we'll give you that at the end of this webinar. Um, did you guys have a particular audience in mind when you wrote this? Like, is, was there someone in particular in mind as you wrote this? Well, here, here's the deal. I want to say something about this uh, book. Um, it's like many things, you know, uh, that I, I, as I was writing this book, um, it really was sparked out of a, for me, something happened a few years ago where um, I got into a disagreement with the elders of our church who have been, you know, close friends and brothers for a long time where I almost left. And I got busted by, by uh, somebody that I have a lot of respect for asking me just simple questions like, hey, are the elders asking you to do something? Well, first, what he asked me was, um, what kind of structure do you guys have there at the church? I mean, what kind of leadership structure? I said, we have an elder governed structure and I'm one of the elders, but I'm just I'm underneath the authority of the elders. So he said, so you don't you're not like a dictator and you're the, the, the king. And, you know, no, I believe in an eldership, plural, plurality of elders to keep people accountable. And he said, so, OK, he goes, uh, did did this disagreement that you're having with them, did they ask you to, to sin? Or do they just have a difference in opinion about a direction? I said, no, they didn't ask me to sin. And he said, are the eldership as a, as a whole, are they all in agreement on this other than you? I said, yeah. And, I, and as he's asking these questions, I do not like where this is going. I mean, I, it's like I couldn't see it myself. Uh, you know, we, that's the importance of having people around you where you just, you're so in the forest, it sneaks up on you. And, and I believe in all these things, but I am so susceptible to pride. And it just busted me hard. And, and so I went, okay, I disagree with these guys, but they're my brothers. And I believe in, in God's version of this. And I, I said, I, I went and, and I said, you know what, I'm going to forgive because some things that had been hurtful happened and, and I'm going to go first. I'm not going to wait for them. I'm not going to do it. If you do it, I'm going to go first. I'm going to submit to their authority. And I watched what God did in the relationships, how he renewed them, strengthened them, how God did stuff that was mind blowing to me. And over the years, I've had to learn humility over and over and over again. I aspire to these things, but as a human being who has a sin nature, I can so deceive myself, which is why God, you know, says to encourage one another daily so that your hearts will not be hardened by sins deceitful. To have honest confession, transparent lives with brothers and sisters, because no one person other than Christ can handle this without the brotherhood of the believers. And, and so the audience for me is, 
always primarily as the head goes, the body falls. I want to say this as a pastor, you know, we want our people to be discipled, but we're not, we're not, we're not so mature. We don't need to continually grow. Humility as as the head goes, the body follows. We need to lead the way and go first. But ultimately, it's always been to say, folks, Jesus is, uh, we, uh, people heard me say it a lot. You can't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. Humble ourselves. We, we're not called to, Brandon Gindin always says, we're not called to innovate, we're called to imitate. Jesus, the greatest disciple maker and world changer in history, did this without big buildings, without media, without Life on life discipleship changes the world. And we try to overcomplicate it. We try to get so smart. Let's just go back to the beginning and do that and do life together as believers. Be the church rather than go to church. Let's make disciples as he did it by his definition. Instead of trying to figure out how to make the world happy, our job is to make disciples who then, you know, so many of us are trying to reach lost people. We're not discipling the ones we have. And those people go out in every place they work, live and play. And they don't, if they haven't been discipled, they're not reaching people individually. So we have to do it corporately and we can't disciple people individually. So we have to preach it and teach it and not live it. And we've created this mechanism that doesn't actually produce life change. And God has no obligation whatsoever to bless our church. He only has an obligation to bless his. And what does his church look like? Let's humble ourselves before that. We're all handed a box and our slice of history, and we have to look at that box and go, is that the box Jesus gave us, or did somebody monkey with the box, and are we just going to live in it? Humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus, do it his way, understand we're all susceptible to change and pride and arrogance. Let's just get back to the beginning and watch what Jesus does. That would be, you know, what we were trying to shoot for. Yeah, it's actually, I'm, I'm glad that you changed the name. Because it, very, it is a, a hopeful book. I mean, if you didn't believe that, that um, the church not only needed to, but could move in this direction, you, know, you wouldn't have wasted the time. And so, yeah. So I like, I like the title, The Revolutionary Disciple. I know. He was as, right. As to the death of discipleship. He, he, they talked me out of it. You know, I had to submit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it. So could this, could do you see, envision seeing this book used as a sermon series? Like could a, um, you know, could a, how would a church use this even as a We're both sermon? doing it in a sermon series right now. We're doing it at our church. He's doing it at, over there at that church. Yeah. Yeah. And people are, it's funny. People are like, I love the series. And I was like, yeah, you like a kick to the teeth. No, um, it, it's, here's the deal. People are burdened by their pride, whether they are conscious of it or not. And what we're finding at our churches is we, it's, it's basically a six week sermon series. And we've actually, the publishers actually created a whole suite of resources, you know, sermon outlines, discussion questions, graphics, and all that, that you can license for free, but um, at their website. But the, the whole deal is that this is a liberating message. You know, when Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, it's like, you know, you asked who the book was written for. It's like, I think everyone could raise their hand at some point and say, me. And the the real, the core of someone whose life is burdened is, is unrepentance due to pride. You know, when Christ talked to Paul on the Damascus road in Acts 26, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I think a lot of people are burdened 
And what we're finding, I, I, I haven't talked in detail with Jim, but people will be like, I love this series that we're going through because it frees people up from the burden of their own pride. Because at the end of the day, humility is the best life. And the peace that comes from it is remarkable. You know, I'll give you an example today. Um, I realized I made a mistake yesterday. I was talking with my family and I, I, my daughter's turning three this week and we have a big party on Saturday and they got the time totally wrong. And so I was going back and forth trying to defend my wife about like, she sent the invite and you know, I was like, why didn't you look at it? Why didn't you RSVP? Then they sent me a text from a month ago that I sent that had the wrong time. And I, I literally forgot I sent the text. And they're like, this is why we're confused. It's not our fault, essentially. It's your fault. And I was like, oh. And then I tried to be like, well, I still tried to say, well, I'm sorry, but you still. And I realized this morning, I was like, man, I really screwed up. And so I apologized without at assuming they should apologize to. And you know what? That feels so much better than um, going on in unforgiveness and in pride. And so I was even reminded today, like, man, Praise be to God that we don't have to hide our sin. We can confess it. And that, you know, so this series that our churches are doing, you know, goes with the book, but you can do it. You know, you don't have to get everyone to read the book kind of thing. And I'm telling you, I mean, it truly is revolutionary the way that Jesus has called us to live because so, so few people believe it. It's like, Hey, the way to a revolution is by being humble. Really? How's that worked out for you? Well, it's the only lasting revolution. And so that's kind of the mystery that we go into. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about it being, you know, the sense of peace, sense of joy was I was uh, preparing for this webinar. I was, uh, my mind went back to Andrew Murray's book, uh, Humility, mm -hmm. which, you know, he wrote, he wrote in actually first published in 1895, which would indicate this isn't, you know, a new issue, but it's interesting what he says in the preface. He said, first of all, he quotes Matthew 22, 23, 11, whoever would be greatest among you should be your servant. And then he said, he simply taught us that the blessed truth is that there's nothing so divine and heavenly as being the servant and helper of all. When we see that humility is something infinitely deeper than contrition and accept it with our participation in the life of Jesus, we will begin to learn that that is our true nobility. We will begin to understand that being servants of all is the highest fulfillment of our destiny as men created in the image of God. And uh, yeah, so it is it is a helpful message. And um, you've made this opportunity for people to get this book at 50 percent off. There's a if you use if you go to the publisher and I think uh, Jason is putting that link in there and use the code EXPO, E-X-P-O. Uh, between now and the end of November, you can get um, you can get this get it for free. And uh, I got a little bit of a hint: if you order the hardback and buy the hardback, you also get the audiobook, which was uh, read by the authors here. You get the audiobook and you also get the ebook. So you essentially get all three by buying the hardback, and you can get it for fifty percent off with the code Expo. So any anything else that you get, you guys want to mention about that? Well, just, you know, if you're listening and you don't have the link, you can just go to the revolutionarydisciple.com and order from the publisher and use Expo to get 50% off in the free audiobooks. So, yeah, 
Great. And one other thing I wanted to touch on, you guys uh, re mentioned Relational Discipleship Network and RDN, and there, and there are probably a lot of people on it may not know about that. If you, just a quick word about uh, that network and the work. Yeah, we, we started here doing a discipleship training for churches, leaders on defining terms, methodologies for discipleship. Most pastors were educated. They weren't discipled. And um, so we, it's a, an experience. It's a, a couple-of-day experience where we're actually showing you uh, how to disciple in a small group. Just because you're in a small group doesn't mean you're being discipled. And so what does it look like to, to do that uh, in a small group so pastors could actually experience it? And then from there, uh, we started training churches all around the country, but then people needed more coaching. So we said, well, why don't we just start creating a, a network of, of churches that help one another and collaborate and where, you know, those who have actually led their church through the shift of, to disciple making from programmatic or weekend service attractional model. Uh, what if we had pastors that had done that start coaching those who are going through that? And so it's like a small group system. And then, you know, then we, as we have new leaders, we open it up so more pastors can get coached. And, and so that created the relational discipleship network. It's all around the country and the world. And it's started here at real life ministries in post falls, but they're from every denomination, a biblical denomination. And, um, and uh, so it, it's where a great opportunity to find out more about that. Where, where could they go to find yeah, out? Yeah, Go to RDN. Uh, one.com rdn1.com rdn1 and of course we'll be at exponential this year and uh our team always goes and does uh all of that and and so we'd love to love to just help you become a disciple maker and lead a disciple making movement in your church well guys thank you so much for for this time but especially for the time and effort that you invested in in putting this put together and this tool for for the church and uh uh, it is a it is a hopeful message, and uh, and certainly certainly timely. And and I think that um, COVID perhaps has uh, opened our eyes, you know, to some things. Um, I don't think it's done anything itself, but it has exposed cracks that were there. And uh, um, appreciate the work that you've done here. Uh, and thank you all for being with us today. Good to be with you.